Hello, Commodore fans. Welcome into episode 26 of The Door Report. This is a beautiful Saturday night here in Nashville, May 16th. We are always presented by the great folks at Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day and get your job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or you can email the, the owner, Jimmy Alaco. That's Jimmy Alaco at comcast.net. They are right here in Nashville, so it's easy to, to get in touch. You can call them at 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring, perfect floors, whatever your style. So, you know, definitely check out the folks there, Alaco Hardwood Flooring. They they are the, the best, you know, for, for hardwood floors here in the Nashville area. Well, tonight, I'm excited about this episode. This is, you know, one of the episodes that I've been really excited about. We, we planned it for about the past week, and I've got Jackson Tolk and Will Byram. Will's actually freshly uh, on the team. Will, welcome aboard, my man. Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to be part of it. Yeah, and you know, we're trying to build and expand any way we can. Jackson, thanks again uh, for taking the time. Of course, always a pleasure. Guys, you know, I'm, this, is a, this is an episode where there's a ton of news, so we're, we, we don't have a ton of time, but you know, we're going to go ahead and get into it before we do. Fans of the Door Report, don't don't forget to follow us on Twitter. That's obviously at Door underscore Report. We hit the 1,000 mark. So again, congrats to uh, everyone on our team. We're going to continue to work. Instagram, we're over 100, trying to expand that. Facebook as well, the Door Report. YouTube, uh, SoundCloud is our is our uh, uh, website that we put them out on iTunes. But again, we are now officially on Apple Podcasts. So check us out there. Give us five stars. And uh, and and get a, give us a good review too while you're at it. We've got a few good reviews, and we got to get those up a little bit before we get into the breaking news. This piece of news is presented by the Recycling Dudes. Jackson, go ahead. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman, and their dad Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in Westmead, the Recycling Dudes recognized a need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every need and budget starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at recyclingdudes.com. All right, let's get right into it. Our first piece of news is... Romello White, he is headed to Ole Miss. Very unfortunate news for Vanderbilt fans, you know, all across the country. This was a guy that many of us thought we had a great chance to get because of his ties with Jerry Stackhouse, played on his AAU team. But there was a lot of, you know, conflicting. I don't even know if they were reports. There are a lot of Vandy fans on Twitter not not happy with the AD. But it turns out she had nothing to do with it. Vanderbilt had a road, you know, a path for him. They had they had paved a way for him and. and I think Jerry probably worked hard to get that, um, and Romello basically. I, I I hate jumping to judgment here, but it almost seemed like a slap in the face. You know, w- would you guys agree? Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting. A little bit brewing with Ole Miss. I mean, of course, in the past, you know, Mar- Marshall Henderson was was quite somebody that uh, <laughs> stirred us up um, in Commodore Nation with some of the shots he hit. Specifically, one I can think of. I won't mention it. What a dagger. Um, <laughs> It is interesting, since Kermit Davis took over in 2018, Stackhouse, of course, um, as well in this after his second season, um, it's not the first recruiting battle 
um, that, that the Commodores have lost out on. Um, if y'all remember Austin Crowley, yep. um, the four-star combo guard, um, heavily pursued in the 2019 class. Um, he committed to, to Oxford um, to play ball there. Um, over Vanderbilt, similarly, uh, we, we kind of had the same idea that, you know, he would be coming in playing for Stackhouse and, and decided mm-hmm. to go over there. So that's something to think about, you know, hopefully when the basketball season goes as planned. Um, when they're coming down to Nashville and we're going down to Oxford, it's, it's something to keep in mind with maybe a little rivalry brewing yeah. between the players and coaches. I, li- I like that. You know, obviously we, we didn't get Romello, but I think it's really cool how you mentioned that because Vanderbilt, the only rivalry they, they really have is Tennessee. I guess you could call Kentucky a rival, but again, when's the last time they beat Kentucky? You know, uh-huh. so Ole Miss is a team that I think Stackhouse, you know, him and Kermit, they've had some battles, like you just said. So, I'm looking forward to that, and again, it's not the end of the world that we didn't get Romello. Like, I, I just I can't understand why Vanderbilt fans are jumping to judgment. I think a lot of them realize that they were wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. like this this just wasn't what happened. And uh, I got to give credit to Chris Lee; he's been all over it. Uh, he went on the George Plaster show on uh, 560 WNSR, and he said, you know, what I just said. He said Vanderbilt had a path for him to get through grad school but he didn't want to take the path Vanderbilt had set up for him. Jackson, what were your thoughts on this? You know, I agree a lot with what both of you were saying. I think especially just with the reaction of lots of Vanderbilt fans who, you know, assumed that it was, you know, same old Vandy, state of the program, <laughs> just uh, not making those sacrifices to get the students into school. In that case, I believe, you know, as the reports have come out, that that was not the case at Stackhouse and, Candace Story and Lee were doing what they could to get him into school, and ultimately he just decided that Ole Miss was the right fit for him. So this should just add more fuel to the fire for Stack and the boys when we face up against the Rebels next time, just like Will said. Yeah, and it's something that, again, you don't you don't want this to happen in your program, but Vanderbilt, if this was to happen to any position, it, it would be this forward position because they've got plenty of depth there with Cleavon coming back for his fifth year. A guy like Quentin Melora Brown, who was at times in practice last year, as Stack has said, the best player at his position. And then you even have a guy who's been in the program for a few years, Educa Obina. So, um, yeah. So I, I think when you look at this situation, it's not as 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 um, you know bad as it might look on Vanderbilt because they had a path set up, and that 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 honestly made me that that made me think, all right, you know, we're fine. You know that he didn't want to come. That's his problem, and he wasn't a fit. Like that. Yeah, that's... A quick, quick note on that. Something that you know kind of overshadowed this past season. You know, eleven and twenty-one. Not, not what we were hoping going into the year, especially when you've got got Neesmith, Saban Lee, both mm-hmm. both leaving. We'll touch on that later. Um, but Cleveland Brown going out early was a major blow. I, I, I've been talking with some people, and the the two people we mentioned actually at the beginning of the year that that were number one and number two were that would have been huge losses were Aaron Neesmith and Cleavon Brown because um, you know Disu coming in as a freshman having to extend that role Obina a really needing an, another year of improvement we've really missed him on the glass and as a rim protector uh, so that was just another blow of, of the cursed past two seasons so Cleavon coming back in that medical red shirt is, is definitely a huge boon to the upcoming year no doubt and Cleavon is a guy that Stackhouse loves the Stackhouse has talked Every time he talks about him, he, he raves about him. So this should be a huge year for, for Cleavon and, and especially other guys like DJ Harvey. You know, we'll be talking a lot about the basketball team here on the Door Report. But we're going to continue with another smaller piece of basketball news, boys. Let's continue to roll on. David Grace and Ricardo Patton are out. 
Brian Carlson of the Door Report, great reporter, had a tremendous piece detailing the importance of this move. Um, after Coach Stack was named a head coach back in April of, of last year, Grace was the first assistant he hired on April 16th. Grace would serve as the associate head coach and the team's top recruiter in his year with the Commodores. Now, I've seen you know a lot of places, message boards, Twitter, and all that, where Vanderbilt fans were, were upset that we lost uh, a, as good of a recruiter as Grace. But I have also heard that Stackhouse is wanting to move a little bit more local to get his mm-hmm. recruits. Is that what you guys have been hearing, too? Yeah, it's similar to that, um, that he's, he's a great West, West Coast recruiter, but, but those aren't really the guys that traditionally um, you know, Vanderbilt has, has gone after. Yeah. And his connections around this area and more local players weren't, weren't as good. And, of course, that, that, you know, that's a lot of speculation from the outside. Uh, another, some more speculation kind of heard you know, with, with Malcolm Turner – uh, being, you know, resigning, put that in quotations or, or whatever, whatever happened, happened. There. Um, that a big issue or at least a, a smaller issue that, that contributed to him resigning um, was the size of Stackhouse's staff. Yeah. Um, now, now that's completely nothing on the inside or anything like that. But, but like you'd mentioned, a lot of this is just speculation. And, and you know, you hear enough rumors and a, a lot of times from different places and those turn out to be true. So, that may have been something that contributed to this as opposed to just they weren't doing a good job or anything like that. I, I think we were all surprised by both these guys leaving, but it wasn't a, as big of a hit as, again, Vanderbilt fans might have put it out to be. Um, you know, his coaching history, he's, he's had some good stops. He, Sacramento State, San Francisco, Oregon State, UCLA, um, behind Coach Alford, and then Cal. So, um, again, Grace, great recruiter, but the um, – you know, the method that Stackhouse is apparently evolving into is more the guys in the southeast, Georgia, you know, Tennessee, Virginia, those type of guys, even in the D.C. area, North Carolina, where he's from. So, um, again, not as big of a hit as a lot of people might think. Meanwhile, Ricardo Patton, he served as a senior advisor to Stackhouse and has tons of experience, 15 years of coaching experience, first at Colorado, or first at Northern Illinois, then Colorado. He also has a long history in Middle Tennessee, he grew up in Nashville, graduated from Hume Fogg, and uh, and then went on to become a Hall of Fame player at Belmont. Jackson Patton is also a pretty big loss as well. Agreed. I think he, although Grace is the more vocal coach and recruiter, as we all know, I think Patton may have the larger effect um, on losing him at the moment. As a senior advisor to the head coach, I think he helped um, stack this season get his feet under him, learn the college game, learn more about what it takes to be successful, specifically, like you were saying, in the Middle Tennessee area. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's all speculation at this point as to why um, Patton moved on um, and why they moved on from Patton. But uh, um, I think that Stack ultimately learned what he did from him and they had to make those moves. They did so. I, I look forward. I think the future is bright with the men's basketball team. Yeah, and again, you look at these two guys. I, I, I like the fact that the that the staff is getting smaller. That might sound weird, but with, with Stackhouse, I I trust him. You know, I just have I don't I don't really blame him on any of these early moves. I think he's done everything he could and can do uh, with it with 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 the people he has on this team. So again, we could talk about that a lot more, but I do want to move on to a piece of news from the Vanderbilt Hustler, reported by Grace Lee that the university is hoping to have students on campus this fall, and they've created, you know, as we all have heard of, a four-phase plan 
to reopen. Uh, Susan Wente, the interim chancellor, has been quoted as saying, in quote, when we turned everything off or shut everything down at the beginning of March, that was like maybe flipping a switch off. Reopening is much more complex. It's not just flipping a switch back on. I, I think this, you know, this is obviously good news, but it, it's all kind of speculation at this point, right, Will? Yeah, uh, you know, reading through the plan, um, the only concerning thing is, is, you know, Nashville has the four-phase plan as well, yeah. um, looking relatively similar to Vanderbilt's. Uh, just, just something to keep an eye on. I, I may have missed it. I didn't see any dates or requirements mm-hmm. on that, where Nashville had the 14-day decline, um, which is, you know, pretty vague to begin with. With Nashville, is that the seven-day moving average? Is that a decline every day? So it'll be interesting to see if that is in any way tied to Nashville's, um, Davidson County's four-day plan, uh, or four-phase plan, excuse me, or if that is completely unconnected, and, and we'll see that move a little bit quicker, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully we will. That'll, that'll be moving a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and hopefully the NBA draft is, uh, is, is in June as planned. Um, mm-hmm. According to Kyle Boone of CBS Sports, our guy Aaron Neesmith is, is soaring up. up the, uh, his, his NBA draft stock is rising quickly. He's the number 10 overall pick projected in the NBA draft. Obviously, Neesmith, he only played 14 games. But in those games, he shot 52% from three-point range. Jackson, I'll start with you. Do you think this is accurate? Do you think he can be a top 10 guy, maybe even inside that top 10? 100%. I think Aaron Neesmith is the real deal. I think there's a potential for him, if he continues developing, um, to become a starter very soon in the NBA, be able to contribute right away. Um, We know that there are lots of superstars who love to be surrounded by shooters, particularly LeBron comes to mind. You know, I don't. I don't think it'll uh, match up for Aaron Nismith to be drafted to the Lakers right away. Oh, that'd be I awesome. Think, <laughs> I think there is certainly a premium for shooters, as you had said, and I think that is just continually being valued, especially with the just incredible numbers, uh, over fifty percent from three point range. Aaron Nismith is on his way to a very successful um, and I think long lasting NBA career. Yeah, especially at that size. Yeah, oh, I mean. Yeah. He's got, the, with his size, he's 6'6", and he showed, like I said, he only played 14 games, but he showed he could get to the basket easily, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he, yes. I mean, he, finish, like, finish your contact. Yeah, and so, but a guy that can really get to the basket, Will, is, is Saban Lee, and you have a really cool, uh, cool uh, insight on him, don't you? Yeah, so Saban Lee's kind of flown, I wouldn't say under the radar, um, but people outside of, you know, diehard Vanderbilt fans haven't haven't given as much coverage to Saban Lee leaving the program, which we, we all kind of knew, even even though we had hopes that Neesmith was going to be gone. Uh, you know, you just can't pass up being pretty much a lock as a lottery pick. But Saban Lee, um, you know, he tested out the waters, uh, hadn't signed an agent, and decided to sign with an agent and officially declare for the draft. Uh, even, even though he did that, a lot of places you're saying you're still projecting him as a second-rounder. Uh, that's kind of unlikely what he heard when he spoke with his agent and, and some other advisors because uh, he likely already was going to be a first-rounder or something along those lines because he'd been, you know, the guaranteed rookie contract. Uh, in my opinion, the draft workouts are going to be really, really important for him, uh, assuming those can go as planned, which is why it's it's such a tough time for him because uh, what he's going to want to do is, is show improvement on his shot. We all know about his elite athleticism, yep. floor vision, and his ball handling is greatly improved. Uh, but the form did. We did see the form get better 
uh, this past year, especially since he was thrust into a role where he had to take more threes, mm-hmm. even though he did he, he did drop between the season before and last year from 36 to 32%, but he did nearly double his attempts. Uh, so that, that hitch in his shot uh, has improved dramatically. Um, we did see that, but... You know, a little bit of insight as as a former below average high school basketball player uh, specializing in shooting threes. Hey, me too. Um, yeah, so that, that was that was kind of my role. Um, a, a big issue with guys like Saban that do have those flat shots that you see and are kind of inconsistent because he would get hot from mid range, uh, not just the three point line. Um, they, they release the ball on the way down yeah. as opposed to the way up or at the apex of their jump. So that was something that guys would really want to keep an eye on in those draft workouts, which haven't been able to really go as planned uh, as of right now. So that, that's going to be something really important leading up to the draft, that how those workouts go, specifically looking at him, his shot, that hitch and his release quickening, as well as his, his jumper being released uh, at the apex of the jump as, as opposed to on the way down. That's going to improve his jumper tremendously. Well, that's your first scoop of the door, Port. Congrats, my man. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, we'll go ahead. We, we got to end it real quick here before I get to Luke Cornett. But real quick, guys, give me give me about a sentence here on Austin Martin. Do you think he will go number one? I'll start with you, Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can start out on that. Um, I, you know, I think potential is very high for Austin Martin to go number one. I think, um, you know, we've seen analysts love his ability as a hitter. Um, MLB.com's Jim Callis said that he's the draft's top pure hitter. And the athletic Keith Law said the main question is his ultimate position, especially since he didn't throw well this spring before the college season ended. But he has hit the hit, power, and speed tools in a history of elite performance in the best conference. I think it's likely, and I think it's deserved as well. All right, Will. Yeah, I'm gonna gonna defer out, outside of I'm gonna be honest outside of Vanderbilt baseball. Baseball is not um, my favorite sport to keep an eye on. I follow Vandy very closely. Yeah. But but to be honest, I'll just I'll just defer to y'all on the uh, on the speculation okay. on where he'll go in the draft. Hey, board. I'll accept it. I'll accept it. I think <laughs> I think he's gonna go number one because he with his with his versatility and his potential. He may not be a five tool player now. But definitely down the road with some development, you know, a couple years in the minors, he can be that guy for a team. So, um, again, Austin Martin, I think he goes number one. And, uh, you know, Will, he'll make a decision maybe maybe next podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll dig into that one. We'll yeah, we'll, we'll get a little bit more research on that one. Well, that does it here for episode 26. We, not, not quite yet. We got Luke Cornett coming up. But, guys, before I get to Luke, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having us on here. Yes, sir. Excited for it. All right, boys. Yes, sir. That was Will Byram and Jackson Tolk coming up. I am now Luke thrilled Cornette. to welcome in Luke Cornett of the Chicago Bulls. He is the seven foot one native of Lantana, Texas. Played four years at Vanderbilt here on West End. He's also a member of the 2017 All SEC First Team. He was also on the All Defensive Team. And speaking of defense, he loved to play. He is Vanderbilt's all time leader in blocked shots. Luke, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I want to first ask Luke, are you are you seven foot one or do you consider yourself seven foot two? Um well I say seven one. I'm seven one without shoes and so like with <laughs> shoes I'm like a little over seven two. Okay. They I make... just go like barefoot, so yeah. <laughs> they they make that much of a difference, huh? Uh yeah, yeah. A lot of people go in shoes, but I, I try to keep it honest, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
I like that. Now, also, another question before I get into the deeper ones. Do you consider yourself a power forward or a center? Um, I would say a center. Uh, like, especially in the NBA now, it's like, I'm, I'd definitely say I'm a center. I think I guard centers, and um, I, mean, I think that's kind of what you're more defined as. Even though in college I played a good amount of four, um, but I think that's like kind of best and most natural to be centered. They'll all play some four. Yeah, maybe. you, you mentioned... Yeah, you mentioned guarding centers. We'll talk about uh, a center in Joel and B that you dropped 25 on uh, a little bit later. But, uh, you know, both your parents went to Vanderbilt. Uh, how familiar were you with Nashville and, and Vandy itself as a, as a young kid? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was always like, pretty familiar with it with both parents going there. But uh, I really like my old times in Nashville. Once we moved to Texas, we would drive back to Kentucky where my dad's family is during the summers. And we'd always like stop by campus in Nashville, um, which was really like my only experience ever like being at the campus. Um, and then also like growing up, like we would watch Vanderbilt games, like when it was Frege and, uh, like Shane. And then like, obviously when it was like John and Jeff and Festus and those guys, like I was a, like a big fan and always rooting for them. So, um, like I, I didn't think we were like we lived so far away that I never felt like super close to it, but I was always like aware and familiar and cheering for him. Yeah, so I think it's amazing, and you know I've read this obviously uh, right when you were coming into Vanderbilt. Uh, I think you were a, a huge buzz. I don't know if you knew you were as mu- as much as you know the Vanderbilt fans were talking about you, but you grew seven inches in your junior season, junior and season seasons in high school, and then two more when you arrived at Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, just for the icing on top. What what was that like? Were what was going through your mind? Like, were you scared? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Like, what was what was that feeling like? Um, it was uh, it was definitely strange because <laughs> I mean, like in April, at the beginning of April or like the end of March, uh, like I was just planning on on going to SMU and like just being a student there because it just didn't seem like it was going to end up like working out for basketball. And if I wasn't going to be playing like Division One, then I was like, why waste the time in a way? Uh, if like I was just gonna end up getting a job elsewhere, um, so I was like I understood it too at the same time because I was like whatever. Like by that time I was like six ten and yeah. know, maybe like one hundred and ninety pounds or something like that. <laughs> um, and like my official visit even was like during finals, and like from beginning of my recruitment to the end was like a week and a half. So I like I didn't really have the time to really know people, but I was more familiar with the school than I was with anywhere. So I felt pretty comfortable in, like, choosing to go to school there. But uh, just from, like, meeting the team and also the thought of, like, of having to play against the guys. I mean, once I got on campus, it was a bit of a rude awakening just because, <laughs> I mean, I, I was just, like, so underdeveloped at the time and still growing and trying to catch up. Uh, but I think it actually helped me a ton in the long run. Yeah, I want to touch on that. But first, your your dad, you know, through high school and, you know, as a child was, was 6'10 also, right? Yeah, he was he was six nine. He was uh, he was like five nine in the beginning of high school, and then grew up to be six nine and kind of kept his athleticism and was like a strong person. But uh, I mean, I was like I was just so much later and skinnier that it was. Yes. Different. So I, I you know I want to stay on that because did you with your dad's growth spurt? I don't you know I don't know how much he talked to you about that and you know what what, what that was like, but. Did you know, like, did you expect that growth spurt? Did you think you could be possibly, you know, seven feet tall? Um, I don't know if I thought, like, seven foot was in the cards, yeah. but I definitely thought I was going to be pretty tall. And uh, there was some pretty tangible evidence that, like, I was just growing way later. Like, when I was still 6'4 as a junior, 
I like I really like hadn't even gone through puberty yet still and I was just like such a late bloomer yeah. that I knew it was gonna eventually come at some point, but it just uh took a long time for that to finally go where it was. Like once I got to college I still grew like two or three inches like through my sophomore year or so. Yeah, I, I want to touch on your dad, you know, as I just did. You know, Frank is his name, a former Vanderbilt basketball standout of his own uh, in the late 80s uh, in Nashville. What kind of an impact has he have had throughout your career? Uh, I, he's probably had the, the largest impact of anyone. Um, I never really saw him play, and so I don't like, have much to say on that end, but he always was our coach growing up, uh, just on our basketball teams. And in mm-hmm. high school, he was uh, my coach as well, but... He really didn't ever force us into the game and stuff like that as much. Um, and he would, like, be there to help if we wanted to. And, like, but we would just go as a family to the gym, which we fortunately had keys to. Or, like, yeah. we would just be playing in the driveway. And, uh, I mean, he would, he would play with us and stuff, but it's not like he was ever putting us through drills or anything like that. And we played, like, every sport just the same. Um, so I think I learned a ton of him just in terms of more how to play and, like, sharing the ball and kind of the right way to play just from his coaching, but it was never something that was filled into us thinking like we were going to be basketball players. Like I actually thought I was more of like a golfer or something like that. Or like I played <laughs> football a little bit and uh, I did like love basketball, but it was just a part of it. And so despite him being a player, uh, I never felt like it was something that was sort of like preordained or like forced into or like drilled into. So, you know, we all know you played basketball in high school, but you mentioned golf. Did you play golf in high school too? Yeah, yeah, I did. I played uh, all four years. Actually, I spent more years varsity golf than I did basketball, but that's more testament to my poor basketball ability relative. That's that's awesome. Well, you know, the high school, you know, you went to Liberty Christian School there in in, uh, in Argyle, Texas. I see where you averaged 15 points, eight rebounds, three blocks. You know, your team was district champions in 2013. Solid numbers, but, you know, I think even you would admit that, you know, they don't necessarily jump out of the page. Did you think you, you could play D1 coming out of high school? Um, I, like, not really, I like, for the body that I was then, but I was, I mean, I thought I could compete against guys that were better and, yeah. and like, kind of hang around and that I knew that I would eventually start growing. So it's not like I, like, didn't think I could really play with them. It was just, like, I understood that other teams might not consider so. But uh, also, like, the yeah, the competition wasn't, the absolute best in Texas, uh, in like the private school league, but we did play like Preston with Christian, which had Julius Randall and a couple of like high D one guys. And I mean, it's not like I was killing them or anything like that, but it was like, <laughs> I, I knew what kind of level those guys were playing at. And it's like, okay, I think I could get to a point where I could play against them, but it just never really, uh, like happened. And I was just kind of relying on skill and had no like physical ability at that point. Um, so I, I don't know, I wouldn't say, like, I didn't think I'd be able to play as much as, like, there was no coaches recruiting or offering where, um, like, I sort of understood because it's just, like, you're more taking the gamble on, like, potential and, like, my development and, like, kind of still having to go through puberty. But, there was, like, the actual reality of the player that I was at that time wouldn't have been good enough to, like, be a good college player. Speaking of the coaches, uh, Kevin Stallings obviously recruited you very late. Uh, you signed in the late signing period in 2013, as you mentioned. Why was the offer so late, and, and how did uh, Coach Stallings notice you? Uh, yeah, so I, like, basically my AAU career, the first three years starting after my freshman year, was in a way sort of like a complete waste of time. Like, I didn't get recruited <laughs> through it at all, and 
and was like barely playing and not very good. Um, and then I played as an unsigned senior in two tournaments, like literally in the span of like less than a month, I started practicing with the team. And that team featured uh, Miles Turner, who's obviously yeah. with the Pacers now. And at the time, I think he became the number two recruit in the country and was like a really burgeoning recruit at that point. So we knew, like, a, we had like some connection with them where uh, we just contacted them and was like, hey, if I could play, like, or come practice and see if, like, you thought I could be on a team and good enough where like I could get recruited and get some looks in this. And I came to a practice and by that time I was even better than I was, uh, like through my senior season of college. Um, so they're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Like this guy's like, you're definitely a, a good enough player to play like division one. So I played in a tournament with them. That was, uh, there wasn't coaches allowed there, but there was like recruiting services could be there uh, in Arkansas. And so we played in that. And obviously like miles gets a ton of attention too, but I got like interest through that where the next week I was getting a lot of calls from coaches. Uh, I think at that point, including uh, during that week was coach Stallings. And then either a week after or two weeks after was the tournament in Milwaukee where it was a live period where coaches could come watch. Mm. Uh, so then uh, I, like Vanderbilt came and watched and there's a lot of, I mean, there's coaches from everywhere watching because of miles, but like from all levels, just because of our team. Uh, and uh, like through that, like after he saw me, like, I got an offer. Um, and I think I can see also coach Stallings. It was like, he played four men that were shooters and like would play kind of space and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I already knew sort of how they played, which was great. But also I wanted to go to Vanderbilt just as an academic school. It's like the second the offer from Vandy came. It was like, uh, it was the only school I was comfortable with and knew of and was a great academic school and pretty much the best, like that, that would come around. That was like a high level of basketball. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was like literally a week and a half from the first call that when I signed, I believe, was how long that recruitment was where, uh, like, and I, there's no grudges really for people not offering it before. Yes. Yeah. It was, I mean, there's just like so much you'd have to kind of like have hope in. So you get to Vanderbilt and, um, you know, late there in 2013, you mentioned the growth spurt a little bit earlier. How tough was that to, you know, your freshman year and, you know, towards the beginning of that freshman year to adjust to, you know, you're still growing? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a big period, especially just like, uh, kind of like the physical toll on the body. Cause I definitely needed to put on weight. So I came in at like, I don't know, maybe like 195 or 200 by the beginning. And just like all the lifting and eating I was doing, I eventually, I think played that year, like 216, but was still growing, but it was a, a bit of a rude awakening just cause I was so light and underdeveloped mm -hmm. relative to everyone else who's like college players that. I mean, like, I've said before, but, like, I really felt like the first day I was on campus, I was the worst player on the team. And I remember, like, uh, Nathan Watkins, who was a walk-on on our yeah. team, it was like, I felt like I could not guard him, and he could lock me up, because <laughs> I was just, like, so light. And uh, my mm. first week there, I think, too, uh, so Jeff Taylor and Lance Goldburn and some of the older guys were there. Lance Goldburn dunked on me twice, Ooh. meaner than I've ever been, and Jeff Taylor once. And I was just like, geez, what am I doing out here? Kind of <laughs> Uh, oh my God. But like, it's kind of an experience that sort of helped a lot. You have to learn how to play without having kind of any physical advantages. And so like, I, like I had some skill and then like, by the time your body kind of catches up, you're like, you're starting like, Oh wait, no, I can play with these guys. And then like, you just over time, you start taking like those steps and uh, you go from thinking you're the worst player to being like, I I'm completely capable. And like, you also never really feel overwhelmed by anything. Cause you know, it's like to be absolutely overwhelmed. 
Oh man, that that story is unreal. Um, you, I want to go now to back in 2016. I know you remember this game, ten blocks against Auburn. What do you remember about about that night? Did you feel a little bit taller? Uh, yeah, that night. Um, I mean, I think like first off, I like to give credit to Andy Boggs because what I've heard about that game, who's our SID, our Sports Information mm-hmm. Director, of Andy. I heard he was adamantly making sure the statisticians knew that I was blocking shots because <laughs> I really think I might have only had like eight or nine. And oh. they might have given me some credit on like, I think MFD kind of got one and like both of us kind of got it at the same time. And, <laughs> Any uh, chance? And it, was, it was definitely like a memorable game and it was awesome. And I uh, choked two free throws at the end when I had nine <laughs> points and then got the offensive no. rebound for a layup. So I... I don't know. It was an interesting <laughs> game. It was like the last thing to be points, and I completely choked it, and then was still able to like pull it out. It was kind of a, a funny thing. But I was just happy at that point, I think, to be able to win the game because uh, we had struggled like opening an SEC, and I just came back from like uh, uh, hurting my knee. So it was just about like trying to get a win at that point. Yeah, I want to I want to fast forward now to 2017. This is your senior night. I know a lot happened before then, but um, you know this is just such a special night uh, for you, your family. Uh, I remember watching the game. I, I was pissed. I was really mad. I couldn't be there. But you tied a career high 24 points against a really good Florida team. What did that mean? Winning your last game um, in front of a packed house and Memorial. Yeah, that was uh, that is definitely like one of my favorite games, I think, of my career. Uh, for me and Nolan Kressler and Zach Hamer, who were mm-hmm. uh, like all the seniors at that point, um, and we really needed that win too for a chance to make it to the tournament, which is like another reason that was mm-hmm. uh, huge. And like honestly, I just kind of tried to play the same way I normally do, and it was more just like the ball was coming to me at the right times or like I was having to make the plays and stuff. So I was just trying to – play just like all right how do we score in this position and how do we get a stop and we had some lucky opportunities but I think at the under 12 media timeout I think we were like down 12 or so and at that point it seemed like Florida was just like pretty handily beating us and we didn't really have any momentum at all and uh the fact that we were able to like come back and I think it's like kind of like the whole second and half of the season was something that was really special to us uh seniors and the whole team really and it was like we didn't really know how we were doing it but we were just like every <laughs> possession was just like we're going to try to get a good shot and we're just going to try to get a stop. And you never really like doubted or like felt any motive kind of issues with any guy on the team where you trusted everyone completely. And it's some like my favorite basketball that I played just because uh, like it was just like all five people going for one goal kind of a thing. And uh, I mean, to be able to have that, that last win, especially it was uh, something that like we kind of cherish forever because it was like a pretty special game. And uh, I, yeah, it was huge for us. Uh, to be able to make the tournament. Yeah, Commodore fans are going to remember that, um, you know, for the rest of their lives, not just you. Uh, so you wrap up your Commodore career there in Nashville, July 3rd, 2017. You sign a two-way contract with the Knicks. Did you ever think you'd be playing in the NBA? Because that, you know, signing your first contract, it's got to be special. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was great. Honestly, like, so throughout college, um, and my freshman year was just sort of like, trying to survive basically but my sophomore year I had some more success offensively and then between my sophomore and junior year I got a little bit after my freshman year but then like especially through my sophomore year I was like I started thinking that I could be an NBA player because I still felt like I had so much of like room to grow from like a physical perspective uh and then after my sophomore year 
um, I honestly like I had a couple months of working out where like I felt like I was like really becoming a better player and like really improving defensively was where I was trying for the most but even like offensively I was doing great and then in that summer between sophomore and junior year like I was kind of doing great killing it and like our workers would pick up and feel like I had, honestly might have had a chance to be able to leave after my junior year if but I probably would have stayed for my senior year anyways but like I was really kind of getting to that point where I was like I want to play professionally like from beginning it was more academics and less basketball by the end I was mm-hmm. like all basketball um but then I like broke my foot and that just kind of set me back and my junior year was just like tough on injuries but at the same time I was like I think I led the conference in blocks and I was like top five in the country and became a better rebounder which is like the things I primarily wanted to focus on like so I knew I could play offensively. It was just like, all right, I got to be able to hang defensively. And I was able to do that, but it just wasn't a good year overall where, uh, I mean, like I knew I wanted to play professionally after throughout my senior year, but I guess kind of the same thing. I had another like injury between and first half of my senior year was pretty brutal. And like, <laughs> I, I was like playing at, I don't know, probably like 70%, just like, yeah, like it was coming off an injury. And then I also like kind of got hurt like right before the start of the season where I like wasn't even practicing and then we started playing. Yeah. And I was just bad. And like, I knew it, but I remember like hearing from some of our New York scouts later that like, they came to see us play Marquette in that first game of the season. It was like, this guy's terrible right away. It was like, <laughs> I really was like, I couldn't sprint and that was brutal. So I was like, yeah, I don't absolutely understand, but, uh, like kind of able to get healthier throughout that year. And I mean, I felt like really great by the end of the season. And then as I worked out for the draft where like, I was like, this is a player that I, I should be. Um, but obviously at that point, there's like a lot of evidence pointing otherwise, but for New York to be able to like one to have the two way contract, which came up at that point, uh, which was like sort of the perfect spot for me where it's like, I feel like I'm definitely a good enough player, but like a lot of teams just don't like take what they would see as like, kind of like that risk slash, like it never came mm-hmm. together, but for New York to be able to do that. And then I had a great time in Westchester and in New York, uh, it was like a great spot for me to just really get reps and improve as a player where, uh, I, mean, I like that, that that year was so valuable too and um I really enjoyed it. Yeah, before I moved to Chicago, your time there, you went for a double double in your NBA debut in Toronto. Uh your family was able to see you there. How'd you feel that night? Did you feel good? Yeah, yeah, that was uh it was a pretty awesome night. Like definitely really nervous uh before and I think when I was called to check in, like I had so much trouble getting like the rip away pants off, like the <laughs> And, like, literally the rest were like, hey, come on, because it was taking forever. <laughs> and so that was, like, I basically started panicking in that moment. But, like, like once you're actually, like, in the game and everything was fine and I... <laughs> that was the hardest part. Rebound, like, first, yeah, I got, like, a rebound first touch and I made my first shot. And, uh, I mean, that was just, like, a, a fun way to start. Like, once you're playing, you're just playing. But uh, it was a special night and for my parents to be able to make it on such short notice was really cool, too. So you get to traded to Chicago. You make make a pretty you know pretty early splash there. You dropped a career high twenty five points on you know one of the best centers in the league, Joel Embiid in Philly. This is a game on the road. Nice way to 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 start your scent there with the Bulls, huh? Uh, yeah, that game was. Uh, I mean, I have like that high. Like I had a game my second year in New York um, where I played uh, Embiid. Well, first game he he did not go well on my part. <laughs> and then the second time we played, I did, like, a little bit better, but, uh, and, like, had a pretty good night that time, too, and I did kind of the same thing, but I think he still gave me, like, 27 or 29, so he, like, won the battle, and their team won, but nah. um, I was trying to make shots and stuff like that, and, uh, and like, in signing with Chicago, 
Um, I, I think like this year, honestly, I, I didn't play to the standards that I want to, but I think this next year will be uh, great for me. And uh, I'm just hoping to like really be able to provide the value that I, I know I can to them. And that game was a fun game. I was just kind of find the ball. It's like sort of the same thing as the Florida game where it's like, ball just find you in the right spots and you're just trying to make the shots and help your team. Yeah, it's got to feel good. One more here, Luke, before I let you go. Jerry Stackhouse is, uh, you know, hoping to get his year two in Nashville started on the right time. And, you know, I've been asking a lot of people about what they think uh, about, you know, how he did last season, finish on a good note. And he's got a little bit more pieces this year. What uh, what are your thoughts on the future with uh, Vanderbilt basketball under Coach Stack? Um, I'm definitely excited for it. I, I've met Coach Stackhouse uh, like this past summer when I was in Nashville, mm-hmm. but I also played against him when he coached for Raptors 905. Okay. Uh, my rookie year when I was playing in the G League and uh, I mean, their teams were just like they were disciplined and they played hard and I, I heard John talk about this but it's like it's very true it was like yeah. they were they played hard they were like long and athletic and they were disciplined and uh, I was watching this past year and uh, I mean they always said they're like some difficulties and stuff but I feel like they've like started making the strides forward and coming from I mean, like your first, it takes like some time to be able to like build up a program into what you want to. Um, but like, I'm definitely excited for them and uh, like excited for a lot of the guys. I try to keep in touch with them and uh, and like go back as much as I can. So I'm always rooting for them, rooting for Aaron and Saban and those guys as well. And uh, just hoping the best for them. Well, Luke, uh, you know, we, we wish the best for you as well. Hope you stay healthy and, you know, you get back. Uh, into Chicago and, and have a great year. Hopefully, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, you know, we, we know you'll be playing next year. But, uh, again, Vanderbilt uh, really appreciates what you did for the program, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Luke. Yep. That was Luke Cornett of the Chicago Bulls. He's a seven foot one center. Uh, obviously, he, uh, I had to ask him you know, which position, I guess, he was. He is a center, not a power forward. Dropped 25 on Joel Embiid uh, there in Chicago. He's a native of Lantana, Texas. Played four years at Vanderbilt. And he's also a member of the 2017 All-SEC First Team. One of the, one of the greats to, to come through Memorial Gym. He holds the record for block shots all time there in Nashville. So, again, thank you so much to Luke Cornett. Obviously, thank you to Will Byram and Jackson Tolk for joining me on the show. For myself, Billy Derrick, and everyone else who joined me on today's show, you've been listening to Episode 26 of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring.